0: KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening where we are set to continue our exploration into the book of Genesis. As we have been at this study for uh, quite some time now, we have been taking up the person of Joseph for, oh, at least a couple of months. And hopefully by now, you've come to appreciate that this figure of Joseph is really a man among men, not because of all of the great things he did, but because of his simplicity and his willingness to accept all that came his way. He sure, yeah, (laughs) rose to become this great man in the eyes of the world, right? Only second to Pharaoh himself, but the only reason why he had that kind of rise and he was the number two man was because that's what God desired, and so Joseph accepted that. And as I was on my way over here this evening, I thought, you know, So many of us desire an elevation of status. So many of us desire uh, that paparazzi, right, where everyone is looking at us. Not Joseph. Don't think for a second that this is what Joseph was about. The only reason why he was the Pharaoh's prime minister or vizier was because that's what God desired. And even then, he took that position with great, great humility. So as there are many lessons to learn, when we reflect into the life of Joseph, do understand this, that the greatest lesson is that he accepted everything that came his way, not just his many years of prison, right, but equally his rise to become the second most powerful man in the world. And so when you take those two realities and put them side by side, Joseph embraced it all the same. And for this, we have, again, a great, great lesson. St. John Paul II once said that the first step to conversion is the virtue of acceptance. Now, how is acceptance a virtue? Well, to accept what comes your way, does not that entail a certain interior discipline, a certain willingness, right? A certain uh, saying yes (laughs) to what it is that, that does come your way? Acceptance indeed is of virtue, insofar as you embrace, embrace all that that comes your way, right? And so for this, we have, among the so many lessons, a great lesson to be learned from just not this great epic of Joseph, but really the person himself, uh, the person of Joseph. All right, with that, we are in chapter 46. And now, chapter 46, the bulk of it, is caught up in this Toledoth in the Hebrew, this genealogy, and I'm not going to read all of these names, okay? So we just very well may get into chapter 47 today. I certainly will speak to the genealogy and and why Moses would actually author all these names, but there are many other verses, I think, that offer much more exciting talk radio (laughs) than just listing a bunch of Hebrew names. All Uh, We'll go ahead and start with verses 1 to 7. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. Beersheba. Hopefully that town sounds familiar and that name sounds familiar and that word sounds familiar. And offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will there make of you a great nation. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So here, my friends, just a quick note. We have the final appearance of Yahweh to the patriarchs noted in scripture. Huh? This is the final appearance, not until Moses crouches before the burning bush over 400 years later will another israelite encounter the voice and, and presence of god in this remarkable way right so this is the last appearance to uh, the noted patriarchs in sacred scripture okay verse five then jacob set out from ver and the sons of israel carried jacob their father their little ones and their wives and the wagons which pharaoh had sent to carry him They also took their cattle and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Okay, so Jacob here in these opening verses had hastily packed his belongings, gathered his family, and begun the long trek to Egypt, just as Joseph had urged. And oh, can we imagine that sense of drive that Israel must have had, right? That Jacob must have had to finally see his son so many years later, I think roughly 22, right? Now, when he had gotten as far as 'er Beersheba, it would appear that Jacob feels the full impact of what he was setting out to do. Okay, 'er Beersheba was a place rich in history of his forefathers. Abraham had called upon the name of the Lord there, right? Go all the way back to chapter 21. And how about chapter 22, verse 19, when he had settled in this place of Beersheba after offering up Isaac on Mount Moriah. Here at Beersheba, Isaac had been visited by God and the covenant made with Abraham was reiterated. We talked about that in chapter 26. What's more, if you go back to chapter 27, this was the place where Jacob lived when he deceived his father and obtained his blessing. For it was from this place that he had fled from Esau and departed to uh, Haran, right? So here we have Jacob leaving Canaan to go to Egypt, where many years before there had been a famine in Canaan and Abram had gone to Egypt to survive this certainly would have proven to be a very painful experience one that maybe was contrary to god's word later there was yet another famine and isaac considered going to egypt but god forbade him with these words in genesis chapter 26 verses two to three do not go down to egypt stay in the land of which i shall tell you sojourn in this land and i will be with you and bless you for to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. So how then could Jacob leave Canaan to enter Egypt without stepping outside the will of God? It is this matter, my friends, which probably overwhelmed Jacob. I suppose we could believe he determined not to go one step further until his doubts were resolved. Maybe. Possibly. Either way, we do know this. It was at 'er Beershevah that Jacob offered sacrifices to the God of his father. Genesis chapter 31, verse 54, we read, Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal, and they ate a meal and spent the night on the mountain. There, Jacob offered a sacrifice as a part of a a non-aggressive aggression pact between himself and Laban. It was an agreement, remember we talked about this, made with God as their witness. And if either failed to live up to his commitment, God would serve as his judge. Now, this language of sacrifice, the expression itself is used quite frequently later on in the Pentateuch, Uh, for sacrifices of various kinds. Only the context here clearly indicates the precise nature of the sacrifice. In our passage today, this evening, it would seem most natural for Jacob to be seeking divine guidance concerning his journey down to Egypt. And could we not say that God's response in verses 2 to 4, what we just read, supports this conclusion? You offered a sacrifice to God, so as to enter into deeper communion with God. And when you entered into that covenant communion with God, you were then more disposed to receive Him and better understand His will in your life. What's more, sacrifices were also caught up in claiming victory. So this sacrifice, this offering here in Beersheba, I think you have two things going on. One that he was seeking divine guidance and two and it should be worth noting that he was claiming victory over something claiming uh, maybe a a victory over his own life that for so long he felt like his life was wasted all right we'll we'll get into more of this later because certainly when i'm speaking to here, jacob more than hints at later All right, what about this vision that Jacob had, this apparition that Jacob had, this locution that Jacob had? Well, by means of this locution, God assured Jacob that it was his will for him to depart from Canaan to dwell in Egypt. What's more, God assured him that Joseph would be with him at his time of death. Remember, he believed that the loss of Joseph would bring about his premature and painful death. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 35, we read, Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Well, Jacob would, in fact... (laughs) as you and I both know, live nearly 40 years longer, right? And instead of dying without his son to comfort him, Joseph, as God assures him here, would be there to close his eyes at the moment of his death. What a great consolation. I'm sure that was for Jacob, for Israel. God would go with Jacob to Egypt and greatly multiply him there. He would comfort him in his moment of death through the presence and with the presence of joseph and he would bring israel back to canaan as a mighty nation with this jacob could enthusiastically proceed to egypt and so it is the entire family now made their way to egypt with jacob the patriarch all right now here we arrive at verse 8 And in verses 8 to 27 of chapter 46, we have this great genealogy of Jacob. Again, in the Hebrew, it is called the Toledoth. Now, I suppose the, the question that begs to be asked here is why, in the middle of this chapter, does Moses feel the need to list all of these names? Well, Moses here intended not to name every person who went into Egypt, but every leader of family or clan who would come forth from Egypt. You see, my friends, it was vitally important for those who came forth from Egypt to know their roots since the land would be divided according to tribes. We could also say in addition to this, tasks were assigned and the nation was administered by tribal and family divisions. So the purpose of Moses in this genealogy therefore, is quite selective. It does not intend to name every person coming out of Canaan, no, but to name those who will become tribe and family heads. This would have been quintessential, historically speaking. Remember, when you read sacred scripture, you have to read this in its historical context, right? We always read sacred scripture looking to be inspired by God, and and that's, yes, very important. But there's another sense of sacred scripture, and that's what we call the historical sense, where we step into the shoes of the author, trying to get into the the mind of his first audience, so that we might better understand the intention of that author. And in this case, why would Moses write these names, but ultimately to name those who will become tribe and family heads? Okay? All right. Now, In verses 28 to 30, we have the infamous now, right, emotional return between Joseph and Jacob, right? It has been more than 22 years since they have seen each other. And in verse 28, we read, He sent Judah before him to Joseph to appear before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel's father in Goshen. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Wow, how beautiful is that? (laughs) Judah had been sent ahead by his father to get directions to Goshen. So Israel, Jacob proceeds ahead. And we read that Joseph traveled there by chariot and met his father. Years of fears, years of regrets, years of bitterness. Oh, how they must have flowed from the soul of this patriarch, Jacob, as the tears flooded from his eyes. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, when I read this text, and in other commentaries highlighted this, much that could have been said of this reunion was not recorded. Why? I suppose, my friends, it was an intimacy not to be invaded by curious eyes. Jacob, satisfied at the sight of his son, was now ready to die in peace. Such provoking language. You know, I want to hit the pause button here and just reflect upon something. That there is a certain intimacy that should not be invaded by curious eyes. Today, we, we want to broadcast to the world via social media everything that we do. So busy we are recording every moment of every day that we are actually less able to enter more into that moment that is before us. And yeah, I mean, recording moments are fine, huh? Taking pictures during gatherings are fine. But my friends, do we need to let the world know what we had for breakfast and dinner by posting it on Facebook and Instagram? Please, I think we have to be mindful of the importance of sacred intimacy. And that's what we'll call it, sacred intimacy. There are many moments that happen in our family lives, that are intended to be sacredly intimate. Okay, and I'm just not talking about the two becoming one. I'm talking about the many precious moments that we share as families. If everything we do is broadcasted to the world, it would be far too easy for us to lose that sense of the sacred. That yes, even eating breakfast and dinner together is something sacred and doesn't necessarily need to be broadcasted to the world. We have to rediscover, I think, this sense, or, or maybe better said, this need to see that so much of what we do is supposed to be sacred. Now again, going on Facebook, going on Instagram, going into all of that social media, Twitter, can be very important in the realm of evangelization and staying connected. That's the whole idea, right? Staying connected. But I just throw a caution out there. Do not let the staying connected lose that sense of the sacred. Just a side reflection this evening as we are going through this great story of Joseph, but I think an important one, because I think that there's a reason why we only have a few verses here as it's tied to this extraordinary encounter. I mean, a movie can be made about those three verses, right? And yet all we get is three verses. There is a sacred intimacy there. A sacred intimacy. Okay, moving forward into chapter 46. Let us read verse 31. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of cattle, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of cattle from our youth even until now both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. That's interesting. (laughs) Chapter 47, verse 1. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now we pray you, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you, Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my cattle. All right, well, what is going on here? Pharaoh had already promised Joseph's family the best of Egypt, right? But Joseph was careful to see to it that this became a reality. When Joseph reported the arrival of his family, He knew that Pharaoh would want an interview with them. Uh, They were told to to stress the fact that they were shepherds and that this was their sole occupation, as it had been for generations, huh? This would assure that they would be given the land of Goshen, not only because it would provide pasture for their flocks, but because it would keep the Hebrews somewhat removed from the Egyptians, who despised shepherds. There's a reason why we read that in verse 34, huh? (laughs) Huh? And I suppose the conversation went on as Joseph expected, and the result was that Pharaoh gave Joseph's family the land of Goshen to dwell in. Furthermore, since Pharaoh owned herds also, some of Joseph's family could be employed in caring for his uh, livestock. I doubt that this was the kind of job that many of the Egyptians were willing to accept disliking shepherds as they did. And so certainly the, these men, these brothers and their tribes were willing to take up this, this job, this occupation. My friends, something else is going on here too that we ought to appreciate. God meets us exactly how he makes us and walks with us exactly as he is. These men are shepherds and so God will provide for these men as shepherds. They don't try to be more than they are, but here again we have that word of acceptance. They accept who they are, and as they do, God walks with them, providing for their every need. All right, there's another question we should ask here. Why was getting Goshen such an important objective that so many verses were devoted to the details of its acquisition, while such an emotional moment as the reunion of Jacob and Joseph was so sketchily described in so few verses. First, I think we could say that Goshen clearly must have been some of the best land in Egypt, huh? That is what Pharaoh promised, and that is what he professed to give. Second, it was located near enough to Joseph that he could see his family frequently. It would appear that the most important reason for settling in the land of Goshen was in order to keep his family isolated and insulated from the culture and religion of Egypt. Joseph was strong enough to survive life in the city and in the palace. But again, remember, he had already been given an Egyptian wife, the daughter of a priest, and an Egyptian name. What would become of the nation Israel if they were brought into the city and integrated into Egyptian life? You see what I'm saying here? This is why Joseph ordered his brothers to say that their only occupation was that of a shepherd. Joseph saw the disdain for shepherds as a blessing in that it would keep the two cultures from merging. To have lived and worked in the city with the Egyptians certainly, if you're an Israelite, would have been disastrous. Joseph clearly saw this, and thus he was diligent to have his family settle in Goshen. As we go through this epic that is the story of Joseph in chapters 46 and chapters 47, I really do want us to see how God's providential hand is working. We're going to continue to see in verses 7 to 12 how you have this needed juxtaposition to analyze between Jacob and Joseph. And how finally Jacob, how finally Israel comes to see that all that takes place is a blessing. That even all of the the worst case scenarios that we drum up in mind and heart are actually potentially a severe mercy. And by a severe mercy, I mean to say that what we think might be impossible to deal with, might be, is probably the very thing that God is allowing to happen in your life so as to bring you closer to Him. Whatever it takes for the salvation of our soul. And as this epic plays out, what I just said very much applies to the life of Jacob. He comes to realize even as he is still yet a bit sour, (laughs) that all that has taken place is now a blessing. A blessing. Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 530 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.